exactly. Uh, it's it's not a perfect uh, uh, way to do it, but it is uh, really the most feasible way for us to do it under the current circumstances. Mm-hmm. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial on the car, in the car, in the house, wherever, 102.9. Here today, there was a council meeting last night, so we got our town council quarterbacking session with our council chair, Tom Mercer. Tom, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you, Steve. Uh, Thanks for continuing to have me on these quarterbacking sessions. I think it gives us both an opportunity to kind of recap and primarily for the residents in terms of, okay, what just happened? (laughs) What does it mean for the Franklin residents and taxpayers? And clearly during the meetings, you've got a focused point and you need to conduct it in a certain time, certain framework, et cetera. So we can go spend a little bit more time, get into the rationale behind things and that that should make all things a whole lot better as we go. Agreed. <laughs> so, uh, for the re- for the residents and listeners, thank you for listening. If you're new here, uh, those two questions that I just referenced in terms of what just happened and what does it mean, those are primarily the focal points as we go through the agenda from last night and digest that. So last night was relatively normal meeting, just under two hours. So we'll get it to maybe thirty minutes or so. Um, some of the longer meetings, certainly the 30 minutes uh, short version is definitely there for you. Um, you can always go to the links to get the full video and notes uh, and agenda docs, et cetera, et cetera. And for the regulars, you know where we're about to. So we'll just jump in. And you started last night with uh, street acceptances, which has been kind of an ongoing program uh, catching up to where streets had been built into division subdivisions along the time, but for whatever reason, never formally got into the public realm. Exactly. And uh, we've been trying to clean these up over the last uh, few years and uh, get this, these streets, uh, these streets that have not been accepted yet to get them accepted. Uh, and last night we had two before us, Maple Tree Lane and Oak Tree Lane, which are both off of uh, Maple Street. Uh, and these are the most recent ones. And again, there there was obviously some discussion about why do we accept these streets and so forth. And, uh, and in particular, we spoke of, you know, these were built 30 and some in some cases 20, 30, 40 years ago and just never got accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it is the feeling of our administration as well as the council that we, you know, it's only fair to the residents of these uh, streets to uh, to accept them onto the town coffer because uh, we can't do any repairs unless they are accepted town streets. Right. So uh, that's kind of the premise. Uh, there was a little discussion about 
Uh, why do we accept them? Uh, because uh, it costs us uh, money to maintain them. Uh, why don't we leave it with the developer or whatever the case may be? And clearly that was not the intent when these streets and subdivisions were put in. Uh, as it was our planning board that required the contractor to build these streets to our specifications. Uh, and in many cases, there were trade-offs uh, for different things being uh, sidewalks or extending, extending uh, uh, water lines or extending sewer lines or so forth. These, uh, those improvements were part of the, the negotiations with the contractors at the time. So, um, in, in fairness, uh, to answer some of the questions that were brought up regarding why to accept them, because that was clearly the intent at the time. Mm -hmm. And if, in fact, it's something that we don't want to do coming forward, that's a total change of how we do business uh, or how we've done business. And I spoke to the time to have those discussions. This is the perfect time as we begin the master plan process. Right. And maybe it's something we want to do. Maybe it's not something we want to do. Mm -hmm. To have those discussions uh, with the community during the master plan process is ideally the right time to do it. And uh those are the, some of those discussions may or may not be had during the master plan committee's uh, meetings. Yeah, clearly, at least as I understand it, and based on the meetings and the observations and other discussions around this, there was a point in time where uh, the process did change. So the planning board now, as a developer comes forward, they've got other catches in there in uh, uh uh, financial penalties if the developer does not follow through with the paperwork and leave it unprocessed. Correct. Clearly, that covers our going forward piece from a point in time, but this goes even prior to that. And yeah, in some cases, at least the ones I've heard, 20, 30, in some cases, 40 years that were supposed to be public, the yeah. paperwork, for whatever reason, just never followed through. And yeah, to set the expectations and resolve those expectations from a resident perspective, that's a good thing to do financially. Yeah, let's let's if we do want to change it, then that master plan process, which, by the way, is going to be starting this year. Yes. <laughs> we'll put the plug in for that. So there's still time through March 3rd, I think, to apply yes. if you're yeah. really interested in that. So, yeah. yeah, it's an open discussion, but at least from the resident's perspective, um, this is closing the book, at least on what had been. And yeah, on the other side, there are things that come through where they will remain private and that's the way they were posed. Exactly. Uh, yeah. exactly. And in those cases, clearly that would be um, if that situation for, in some cases, at least I've seen like one or two houses on a side street, if you will, if they truly want to remain private and then, you know, another 20 years goes by and those new residents want to change, that's going to be a different discussion. That will be a totally different discussion for sure. Right. Yeah. 
So from that, you moved into the capital budget. And while the capital budget for the listeners, you may recall, uh, finance committee looked at it, the budget subcommittee, look, capital budget subcommittee looked at it in two sessions and then formally brought it to the council. You effectively had three votes to approve the package, one for its in entirety, then a couple of technical votes around the stabilization transfers, et cetera. Exactly. So basically what the different uh, uh, resolutions were, uh, were clearly um, to deal with not only the expending of those funds uh, for these uh, capital or questionable capital uh, pieces, but as well, how they would be funding, how how they would be funded, where the money would be coming from to do this. So th that's kind of what those resolutions were for. Uh, you know, the total uh, amount was just over four million, uh, four million one hundred, I think, uh, four million one hundred thousand, I should say. Um, and uh, we fund some of that from free cash, some of it from uh, water retained earnings and some from sewer. So water and sewer fund as well as free cash. Right. And uh, basically the, uh, uh, the schools uh, received uh, some for curriculum, uh, facilities, technology, and then facilities, uh, uh, senior van, uh, Davis there, clean out, uh, technology, uh, the uh, billing committee for Schmidt's farm to look at some of that, uh, uh, to look at that piece, uh, fire station, uh, or fire, police, public safety, public works, water enterprise. Uh, I mean, if people really want to get into exactly what line items uh, these went to, uh, they can certainly jump onto the website and uh, the document is there. Uh, the... Um, there were was some question at uh, the subcommittee level as well as at the council level last night as to why some of these things weren't part of uh, their operating budgets. And in a perfect world, uh, I would agree that some of these items should belong in the operating budgets of whether it be police, fire, schools, whatever. But in these times when we really don't know our numbers, uh, what free cash is going to look like, what what the snow removal is going to look like for a particular year, mm -hmm. there becomes uh, funds as they we build the budget and fund, you know we can only do two and a half percent plus new growth. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all we have to deal with. So we right. have to build the budget based upon those numbers, and it makes it very uh, difficult when. Uh, police, fire, schools come in looking for major uh, um, 
major expenses that they are looking to do, they have to, again, the council looks at them as well as the school committee and the different budget subcommittees. They look at it and they say, well, uh, that money isn't available as we look at what our funds would be right now. Mm-hmm. So they have to look and reduce uh, some of those things and cut them. And they get cut from their operating budget where they belong. But then in turn, when these monies come available towards the end of the year, and we know what the certified free cash is going to be, what water and sewer is going to be, and you know, snow removal leftover or snow removal more. Uh, depending upon what the year is like. So you look at those different things and those monies then become available. Then you go back to the school department, uh, public safety, police or fire and say, okay, let's take a look now and uh, what are really the priorities, even though they might have been in the operating budget or should have been in the operating budget. Really, they were, but they had to get taken out in order to level fund the budget based upon uh, what we have to work with when we build it and when the schools build it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that was a long-winded explanation, but that's kind of the, that's the answer to why some of those items were in a capital uh, expenditure versus a operating expenditure. I, and I follow that having the experience of following as many meetings as I have. And just to <laughs> rephrase that slightly too. Yeah. In, in a perfect world, we would do it differently. Um, in a perfect world, we would have sufficient money to cover all our operational expenses. <laughs> yeah. And aside from some real financial technicals around uh, certain capital items, which then give us the capability to depreciate those over time. Um, This is really kind of the best way to fund the capital until we get to a point. And we certainly have had a long road to get to AAA rating, um, creating stabilization, creating some savings accounts for a variety of purposes. At some point in time, I think, we'll get to a point where there'll actually be a capital budget line item in our operational budget, but we're not there yet. No, so no. this this is the best way to kind of use the funds that are available and do what we need to do, which is the bottom line. It, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's not a perfect uh, uh, way to do it, but it is uh, really the most feasible way for us to do it under the current circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of the other items in terms of the actions, you had two referrals to the planning board and effectively they were a paired package, um, but effectively covering some technical tables as well as the other piece was the actual inclusionary zoning detail uh, verbiage. And this was a historic step as was referenced last night. And for the listeners, this is really the start of the formal approval process. There's already been a whole bunch of discussions. There will be more as it goes to the planning board and then comes back to you to make a decision. Uh, Absolutely. So, you know, uh, both of the uh, zoning byline amendments last night, uh, it's a very 
lengthy process. And I know and I applaud the efforts of the uh, uh, EDC expanded committee or one EDC or one Franklin EDC, mm-hmm. which is made up of uh, the e- Economic Development Subcommittee, uh, which is chaired by Councillor Hamlin, uh, but including it includes two planning board members, Greg Rondo and Beth Wheeling, as well as uh, Zoning Board of Appeals, uh, Chair Bruce Hunchai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I applaud their efforts. They have worked so diligently over the last 14 months uh, trying to, you know, this is, first of all, this has been talked about for a long, long time. Yes. And uh, never has it been able to get to this point where uh, we have a consensus uh, and we start the process. And as you said, this is just the starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, zoning things, and I thought Jamie explained it very well. Uh, when you make zoning changes, there you are always a glass half full because uh, you're never going to please 100% of the people. Uh, they're, they're good. Everybody's going to be uh have parts they're happy about parts they're not happy about mm-hmm. and it's referred to as a glass half full and i thought that was a great analogy of what zoning zoning is all about uh you love it you hate it mm-hmm. uh, at the same time right. so uh to get it to this point i truly applaud their efforts and as you alluded to this is just the beginning uh, there's a lot more to come, and there's been a lot of work to get to this point. I know you have done some podcasts uh, that I would just say to our listening public, please, if you're interested, take the time, listen to these podcasts. You will get a better understanding of exactly what this was. We didn't get into great depth at the council meeting because the process is rather lengthy Mm. Uh, as uh, what we did last night was refer the two zoning bylaw changes to the planning board. They will in turn have public hearings on these zoning bylaw changes. Then uh, they will maybe or maybe not tweak it in some different ways and come back to the council with their recommendations, mm-hmm. uh, which may be the same, may not be. Uh, uh, I would hope that they would be very similar uh, because, in fact, it was a combination of these subcommittees that, of these different boards uh, that were involved in getting a unanimous, unanimous decision uh, to move forward with this. And as I said, some were, uh, everybody was in favor of moving it forward. Did everybody get everything they wanted? No. Uh, but I do believe this is a great, a huge first step for us. And please listen to the podcasts that uh, uh, you have done, Steve, because I think uh, they're different and they're with different aspects of it uh, and from different viewpoints. And I think uh, 
if people have the time and are interested in these zoning bylaw changes to listen to those podcasts, you will get all the different views and then continue to listen as the planning board holds public hearings. Then it comes back to the council and the council will have two public hearings on it uh, before it they are finally voted by the council. Yes, indeed. Uh, certainly. And since I stood up at the council meeting to take that opportunity at that time, especially since it was going to be video recorded, so it's available via replay as well. Uh, I, in the show notes, I've created a separate page with the current four. There are going to be more coming as this discussion evolves beyond inclusionary to get into some of the other aspects of the Franklin for All recommendations. But yeah, the four that we've done so far, the first one was actually coming out of the Franklin for All initial meetings and then how some of the four members were going to start uh, doing their process, their thoughts. It's insightful. Then Kobe and Melanie had a separate discussion around parking and uh, uh, other requirements. Then we had two developers, one session, just about an hour with Joel DeRico, with Kobe and Melanie as well. And then uh, the final, the most recent session with Brad Chaffee from Careford Development around uh, the downtown. And one of the pieces that I think, I'm, I don't recall if I mentioned it while it was live last night, but is appropriate. Clearly, as we started here, this the podcast give us time to spend a little bit more to get into the details, to follow the line of thought that really can't be done sometimes in the public meetings because you got tight focus. There's an agenda. You can follow some arguments back and forth, but this gives us like we're taking here, the, the behind the scenes, the rationale, the ins and the outs. And this is all good background for, uh, especially as the discussion goes forward, specifically on the inclusionary through planning board and then back to the council, it'll give a greater frame of reference. And then I think uh, uh, Councilor Frangelo mentioned there are still other pieces around kind of this sausage making machine that we need to tweak the <laughs> dials, et cetera. Those are still in the discussion. They haven't yet come up. So this will be exactly. ongoing, but um, there's, it, there's a good it, bunch out there. Yeah, for sure. And as I said, this is a it's a great start. We have never been able to get to this point in the past. And I just applaud this uh, subcommittee's efforts in uh, getting consensus and getting uh, something in front of the council that we can start moving uh, through the process. And as you said, more to come. And please tune in to the uh, planning board's public hearings on these zoning bylaw changes and uh, pay attention to the council meetings uh, as the after it comes back from the planning board, we will have the public hearings at, a, at the council level as well and get in a little more in-depth of uh, what each of the bylaws uh, stand for. Yeah, well, not specifically an agenda item on the council agenda last night, but it came up in uh, Jamie Helen's town administrator report. And I know you've, as a former building committee chair for the senior center, we have some updates in regards to the status because the work is still underway. There, it is, uh, and unfortunately, uh, we did have uh, a uh, a fire suppression uh, system line go down, and during that 
cold on that cold night and cold day where uh, the wind was blowing so hard. And there's uh, uh, an area uh, in the same lobby area into the uh, library and uh, the pool room uh, that experienced substantial damage, uh, water damage. So the senior center has been closed. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we've had a team in there uh, since the day after, uh, or the day, the night that it happened. Uh, we had a team in there that night and they've been working in there since. Uh, you know, we've had to, in some areas, cut out some sheetrock uh, up the first couple of feet because it got wet. So not only do you have to cut it out, then you have to uh, get new sheetrock put in and, you know, put a skim coat on it, uh, get it painted. Uh, we're trying our best to get the... Uh, the major function room or the big room um, and the cafeteria and the kitchen open. Uh, that area experienced minor damage and we're trying to get that repaired and get that open as soon as possible. Uh, we would love to get it and this is not cast in stone, uh, but as it sits right now, we're hoping to get it open next week. Worst case, it would be the following week. Uh, uh, but we will keep the community updated through public media, uh, as well as uh, through the Senior Center website, and uh, I'm sure through Franklin Matters and Franklin TV and Franklin Radio, we'll get the word out to everybody uh, as soon as we can definitively give a date where we will be open. We are continuing to do Meals on Wheels from there, uh, where, uh, you know, uh, as the kitchen itself didn't uh, get any uh, real damage. Now, the fix to this is uh, it, it's a design flaw in the building as to and you know when it was built many many years ago or you know oh, god i can't even remember uh, I the I building it opened in what 2000 yeah i think it started in 2008 uh, and finished up in 2010 so at the same time we've brought in an hvac person to uh engineer to look at this area uh the soffit area uh, between the first and second floors where we where we have the issue and we're going to address it during this fix of the uh issue so we will not have you know knock on wood we will not have hopefully not have this problem uh going forward uh you know you never know with uh with pipes and with cold air and so forth. Mm. Uh, we will get heat up into that. And uh, it appears that all of the repairs, obviously, as well as the fix of the problem uh, will be covered by insurance. Yeah, uh, that was another key piece that if you didn't mention, I was going to re remind because that was another key piece that at least from the resident's perspective, well, who's going to pay for this? Well, fortunately, we do, we are well insured and yeah. that's that's what this is for. Um, uh, and absolutely. And the insurance company is looking at saying, hey, we don't want to pay this out again. Uh, so let's fix it and fix it right. And they agree. 
you know, we did a few years ago have an issue in a different part of the building, but it was a similar issue, a similar area that we dealt with and we we did fix, but uh, it has, there's another similar area uh, that we need to deal with and we're going to, and it will be fixed. So hopefully that uh, we don't have these issues uh, again going forward. Yeah, because uh, certainly the people appreciate the work, but people are also concerned and uh, clearly the other town functions, i.e. the library in particular, have been stepping up to provide some additional space for some of the other meetings and events to continue uh, to happen in the meantime. Absolutely. And uh, my dear mother, who's 94 years old, who goes to the senior center and plays cribbage on one day and scrabble on one day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, she's there three or four days a week. Uh, I came home the other night and she said she had played cribbage. I said, where did you play cribbage? <laughs> she said, we went to the library. They were kind enough to give us uh, a spot. And mm -hmm. We had our cribbage games there. So uh, again, different uh, library. We appreciate the fact that the library is stepping up and providing some uh, space for some of our seniors to do some of these other things. Scrabble is another one. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I had my Q&A session. I know the council office hours this morning uh, were getting rescheduled because the, the cafeteria yeah. is not available. Um, my Q&A session yesterday went virtual, which we can do. It's usually hybrid anyway. And yeah. the writers group also went virtual, although next week we'll be able to do hybrid because it's also the last Wednesday of the month and we record at the Franklin TV studio. So we weren't going to be at the senior center anyway. So that'll work out perfectly for us. <laughs> for sure. Uh, and that brings up, uh, you know, a, a point that's still out there. There is uh you know legislation at the state level uh yes that continuation of that's coming up uh, at the end of march i think right that's coming up in the in march so uh you know stay in tune uh because right now uh we're allowed to uh have these zoom meetings uh uh virtually mm -hmm. that, uh, goes away unless they vote to extend or make it permanent. I know right. there's a wave that uh, would like to see it permanent. Uh, I do believe uh, having the Zoom option uh, or virtual option sure. uh, doesn't have to be Zoom. It could yeah, be whatever team, technology but, well, whatever technology you want to you want to use. Uh, but to have that virtual option. I think is a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. That's one man's opinion. Uh, I think it's good because it gives an opportunity for people who can't get out of the house on an evening with young children, whatever the case may be, gives them an opportunity to sit at home, but also to participate. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I, I do think it's great. I don't like all virtual. Uh, I do think they can meet in uh, uh in a public forum, uh, but I do like the virtual option mm -hmm. and would love to see that continue. So yeah, something to stay tuned to. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're 
we're seeing at least for some of the early moves of the Senate and House, uh, mass Senate and House in particular, as they've they're starting to announce their committees, that should set them up for taking action. And they know that this is a timeline. They've also agreed, at least in their internal procedures, to allow that hybrid option. So that's an indication that it likely will happen. But yeah, the devil's in the details. We're going to be staying tuned. And to reinforce your point, I think given the capacity of the council chambers, which is, you know, 50, 60, we've seen certainly at some of the major swearing in ceremonies of the entire police department, entire fire department, yet can fit in there. But the school committee at couple of times has had 400 people attend the meeting virtually and clearly not that many would fit into the council chambers no no if that would have happened on a regular basis you'd have to reconsider going to say the high school auditorium or harris man those are the only other two places that realistically fit that kind of number exactly and you know as bad as covid has been uh it's one thing that you might say is good that came out of it was yeah. uh, this virtual opportunity for uh, public forums, public meetings. So uh, yep. stay tuned. Absolutely. Stay tuned. Well, thank you again for taking time this morning to share some of the insights of, and condense last night's meeting into what we did this morning. And uh, we'll be back at it. You've got another meeting in the first of Wednesday in March, right? Yes, we do. Two weeks. Two weeks away. So we're into that routine. Yes, Yes, we are. All right. Thank you again. And to the residents and listeners, thank you for listening. And we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008 and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.